What we've got here is failure to communicate. Freedom. Freedom? Well, sign away my freedom. Why, this is ridiculous. Don't be corny, brother. <laughs> sure, our system of free enterprise isn't perfect. But before we throw it away for some imported double talk, let's turn the clock back a few years to see what it's done for us. With your host, Mike Paul. All right, guys. On today's episode, we are joined by somebody that I've been looking forward to talking to for a while, uh, Vin Armani. And Vin, when I was doing the, like, just before the show, like, how do I want to introduce Vin? I've been following you for a couple of years and you're somewhat of a renaissance man. Like, how do I do this guy's introduction? And it's almost too long, you know, it's, it's like, or what do you want to, how do you want to distill this and say, this guy is this, and it's pretty tough because you've lived a very interesting life to say the least. And luckily I think that most of the people listening to this podcast are already familiar with you. Um, so yeah, say whatever you want to say about yourself before we jump in. (laughs) Oh God. I don't know. I don't know what to say. I think over the last year I've become the, the dim age guy. So that's that's been i mean my my yeah as you say my background is pretty involved i think a lot of people recently have known me for my involvement in bitcoin and cryptocurrency but um you know i've i've led an interesting life now i'm living in saipan where i basically uh, trundled up my family and and flew them out here at the beginning of this uh covid weirdness so we landed the first week of april because i i saw this mounting thing coming i had been speaking for a few years about that i saw that we're entering let's say a new dark age like a new age of magic and over the last year i've been talking to people about that i think culminating probably with uh, the release of my book my new book i've written three now so my new book which is uh, render unto caesar prophecy profit and proof of work in the dim age where i've been talking about it's it's a it's a culmination of all of those things. So this has been a transformative year for me, as I guess it's been for everybody. I would say that overall it's been very positive. But but yeah, I think um, I, I think at this point people know me as the guy who's been preaching a, a bit of doom and gloom uh, that that has turned out to be I, I I would have to say myself pretty much on point. And now 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 it's becoming I think clear enough to everyone, and so. Now it's about moving forward, talking a little bit more about the solutions. And that's what the last year, and not even solutions, but let's say talking a little bit more about the possible paths forward. Let's, that's a better better way to describe it. So so hopefully that's that's something that we can we can talk about today. But I'm certainly happy to talk about any any more background that you guys want to talk about. Yeah, you say yeah. doom and gloom, but um, I was listening to your episode with Thaddeus Russell today on Unregistered. And um, to be honest, that was like one of the first like uplifting podcast mm. i've listened to it a long time just when you're talking about saipan and and the culture there and how you don't even need a passport to go there i was like mm-hmm. wow there's there's actually like a safety valve that's not that far away it's kind of refreshing i'm not at the stage where i'm considering that or available to do that right now but it's it's very comforting to know that is available to us as americans that's uh well it's interesting right like i've been talking about this and telling people for the past well I, for the past year about this place and that it's here a few people have come, but although you would think, oh, it's a safety valve, in some ways that can be a demotivating factor for people because they say, ah, well, I've got a plan B, dad, just in case. And it's always like, well, if it gets 
a little worse and a little worse. But I think what people are not self-aware enough of their own psychology to be able to see the frog in a pot situation that, that they're in. Because if we were to go back to March and I could have told people that 2020 was going to turn out in the way that it did, which I was trying to tell people that it would, that 2020 going into 2021 was going to look this way. And that, hey, dude, a year from now, here's the situation that you're going to be in. There's basically going to be, you're going to have to be wearing a mask everywhere. Uh, they're going to be talking about, and this are, these were the things that I was saying was going to happen a year ago, right? But if people would have believed it, to see it, right? Like if you could go back, you would have gotten on a plane and you would have already been in Saipan because you would have been like, oh, well, I could have been spending, I, I could, I, I've wasted a year. Like everybody's wasted a year at this point, you know, who, who haven't gone to a place that's free. I mean, we stepped down, we, we touched down here and it's like, I've established businesses here already. Um, you know, I've, I've established a community of people. My, my wife and my kids are, are well established within a, a community of, of people and friends. And it's like, the longer that you stick around as everything falls apart, the, the less time you've got to be building somewhere, something somewhere else, if you want to go somewhere else. So there's plenty of people around me now who are like, I'm not leaving because, and these are a lot of religious people, who are who are and that that they're real they're like i'm not leaving because i feel i feel called to stay here and be a martyr like that's what the the other people around me who actually understand what's going on are saying they're mm -hmm. like i'm going to stay and i'm going to suffer because my faith says that i need to stay and suffer and be a martyr for god in this and it's an interesting position and i'm starting to realize that like Oh, maybe that's the reason that some of these, you know, some of the Jews stayed in Germany. Maybe that's the reason that some of the Russian Orthodox priests, well, we know that's true, stayed in the Soviet Union. The Soviets killed 150,000 uh, Russian Orthodox priests. They killed, the Soviets killed 20 million Orthodox Christians. So 6 million Jews, right, killed by Hitler. 20 million Orthodox Christians killed by the Soviets. And it's like, well, okay. You know, like, Maybe this is the reason that some people stick around. So what you have is I think you have the religious people who are from traditions that are old right now who realize, oh, yeah, here's this pattern playing out again. And, okay, the time for martyrs is here. And so I'm going to stay and be a martyr because that's, that's the culmination of my faith. But the people who don't understand that, <laughs> you know, and who, who are like, well, I'm just going to maybe it'll get better. And uh, there's, a, there's a plan B. By the time you're like, oh, it's bad enough to get to plan B, you can't get to plan B anymore. That's how these patterns work, mm -hmm. right? So it's like the last thing that I want to do is make give people a false sense of security that like, oh, this place is here for you. It's like, it's here for you now. Right. Not tomorrow. It's not here for you tomorrow. And tomorrow is fast approaching. So it's like, maybe I should be a little more doom and gloom. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, so so Vin, I I heard you on uh, Pete Quinones's show. I think in mm -hmm. about March, and had I been able to place bets on everything that you called, I I'd be retired right now. I I mean, it just you were you were spot on with everything, and yeah, I I think that the the argument you make there is true, and it's it's kind of the same like within the firearm community. They're like. 
no one's taking my guns, but it's like, if they're knocking on your door to take your guns, you've lost, it's over. So yeah. it's kind of, kind of the same concept where, well, but who cares? like, they're not coming to take your guns. That's, <laughs> that's, that is, that is such a trap. It's such a, tra- it's such LARPing at this point. If you're like, they're not going to take my guns. It's like, bro, they took your ability to walk outside with your face yeah. not covered. Yeah. And you didn't pick up a fucking gun. They took the ability for your child to, to be able to ever see their teacher smile. They took that from you. Imagine a kindergartner who just started this year has never seen their teacher smile. They put children behind plexiglass, make them wear masks all day, little kids, and you didn't pick up a gun. No, you dropped your kid off at school. So shut up. Right. They don't need to take your guns. They've already got your soul. They have your soul. Why do they need your guns? Right. And, and you know, they, they close people's businesses and everyone's like, oh, this is over. Yeah. And, and I, I, you still hear it. You know, most people that haven't, they're just playing along and they're like, it's going to be better. I know 2022. And the, the goalpost is just going to keep moving. It's gonna keep moving. Twenty twenty two. Yeah, yeah. Like we're just we're just gonna snap our fingers and everything's gonna be back to normal. They've got control. Yeah. When has when they've got control? They've got everything that they want. I, the the biggest misunderstanding and the biggest thing that I've tried to communicate to people over the years, and there are a few people who are good at communicating this, but it's a hard one, and you have to be very. What would I say? You have to be very temperamentally disagreeable to do this. James Corbett is another one who's very good at this. And he and I, even in our conversations that we've had publicly, um, this is something that always comes up, is the people in charge are psychopaths. This is what people need to understand. You cannot become a governor of a state in the United States, the president, a senator, if you are not a psychopath. It's impossible. And the reason why it's impossible is because every high-functioning, truly dangerous psychopath, that's exactly what they want, is that position of executive power. So that means anyone who is not a psychopath is competing against murderous psychopaths and narcissistic sociopaths for those positions. Now, first off, most people who are not psychopaths do not think they're cool enough, nor do they have a desire to to rule over millions of people. They just don't like when they think, oh, what are the things that I want to be? They might be like, oh, I want to be a billionaire. I want to be able to just go out and live somewhere. I want to live on a tropical island. I want to have a yacht and go around the world. I want to have a private plane that I could fly around. Almost nobody is like, I want to sit in an office and order people around. Almost nobody except people are fighting tooth and nail for that. They'll kill people to get that position. Why? Because they're psychopaths. So then they're like, oh, well, this, a psychopath just told you that even though they're in more control of you than they've ever been, which is what they want, because they're a psychopath, they're like, oh, but just wait a year. We're almost there. This, the, they just said the thing, the CDC director, just a little more, just hold on. <laughs> we're almost there. If everybody will just hold on, we're almost there. And it's like, wow. It just shows the bug in the human brain and the misunderstanding. Now, for better or worse, I've actually dealt with psychopaths. Like, as a part of my life, unfortunately, 
and I've got the sort of emotional and mental scars to show for it. I have been like involved with legitimate psychopaths and you don't really, and it's about 1% of the population. They say maybe it's one to 3% are born psychopaths until you have truly encountered that until you have, most people have never. And thank God. But until you have truly encountered a malevolent psychopath and understand the degree to which they just want to see you hurt, like that's all they want to do is to control you and to hurt you. And until you have truly experienced that, none of this makes sense. And when you have experienced it, then you can make a prediction that, no, a year from now, it's going to look like this and that prediction will come true. All you need to know is who you're dealing with. That's the real blind spot. Yeah, Vin, what, so the the kind of gist of the topic we were going to cover today, and I'm happy to just free flow because it's it's a blast. It, but <laughs> what we were, the way I see it, there are basically three segments of people, to put it like very broadly, right? There are the people who are full-blown hypnotized Stockholm Syndrome. They actively cheer on and say, wear the damn mask, all this stuff. And then there are people like us who are, fighting to get out like we're we're calling this out and saying no we're not gonna we're just not gonna fucking deal with covid passports it's not happening and you know we're pushing back and then there i think the silent majority is sort of split between people who just keep their mouth shut and behave and people who are completely in denial like tyler mentioned these people that are like i i think everything's gonna calm down soon when logically there's no way that this is gonna blow over I mean, it's just, it's only going to accelerate and it's only going to keep ratcheting and not getting looser. So the question I had, and I know that people of the Liberty persuasion are sort of divided into two different camps. And those camps are, you know, build your own lifeboat and just get out of the system and try to insulate yourself from all of the goings on in the world. And I think that's very much what you are living out. Like you walked the walk and did that. And then there are the people that through political activism want to fight back and they want to change hearts and minds when I'm not sold on the idea that many hearts and minds at this point, if nothing has woken you up yet, that there's going to be some message that resonates with the masses. So I know that you are more of that build your own lifeboat persuasion. So do you think that it's at all worthwhile, all of the activism and trying to reach people, maybe the silent majority we talked about, is there any merit to that strategy? Any merit for whom? For I think that that's the, I think that that's the that's so so that's the big perspective shift that I think is very important for people. Is what what is important to you? And and a lot of this a lot of this changes when you have children. Like it changed for me when I when I had kids for sure. Is what is it that you're really after at the end of the day? Like what's important to you? Do I really care? if the hearts and minds of people are changed or do I need to have freedom for me and mine without infringing on the freedom of others, right? This, this, is, this is really the perspective shift because it's, it's only just a matter of degree. It's like whose mind, whose mind are you trying to change and why do you care? Because, look, there's a billion Chinese living under a totalitarian system there. I don't see us like there's way more of them than there are of us. I know most of them just as well as I know most of America, which is I don't know them. I don't know them at all. 
I don't know who they are. I've never interacted with them. I probably won't interact with them. Why do I care? Why do I care where, where their head is at? What I have to understand is they will always, they will always choose the state. They will always go towards evil. There's no question. It's history says history. We're not human beings are we're we're we are fallen creatures. Like that's the like to use religious terms. We are fallen creatures. Nazi Germany happened. The Soviet Union happened. Right. You, If we want to be woke, the genocide of the Native Americans happened. Slavery of Africans in the Americas happened. We are not different people. Like if I have to bet on human beings becoming righteous, that's a bet I'm definitely not going to take. That's the, they crucified Jesus. That's not I'm not taking the bet that human beings are going to become righteous in mass because it's never happened and it never will. Right. So all all that will ever exist is a righteous minority and so it's like be righteous yourself. Figure out what the hell that means. And then go to a, a in create your environment in such a way that you can be righteous, knowing that there is a, still a very good chance that you will be martyred because the righteous are martyred to the evil. Then that's the structure of reality. That's how reality works. So is there a strategy to change people to change people's minds? Yep, there is. Absolutely. Does it have anything to do with political activism or anything like that? No. Not at all. There's there's how many? A bi billion Christians? More than that? On on Earth right now? So what what was that? That's that. Rome. Christ is in the middle of Rome. Yeah, the Romans killed him. So it's like you act righteously up until the end. You bear your cross. You suffer as need be for that righteousness. You live in truth, and you don't let anybody pull you away. And that's the one and only thing that has ever changed somebody's mind. Saying something on Twitter, a meme, trying to be logical, read some Rothbard, all that shit, nothing. There's nothing there. Walk the walk, talk the talk. Say, I'm going to do this. This is the pinnacle. It's not maybe. This is the pinnacle of behavior. I'm going to be free. I'm going to show you what it means to be free. And I'm going to probably, very likely, because I'm the nail sticking above, get hammered back down. And if you're unwilling to do this, I will tell you what. You say, I'm not going to take the vaccine passport. Yes, you will. Yes, you will. Because you're in a situation where you're going to have to. There's not going to be an option. You're going to take it or you're going to go to jail. That's what's going to happen. That's where we're at. And it's not, it'll be a virtual jail. They're going to take away your ability to have a mobile phone, to have internet access. People won't rent to you. You won't be able to have a bank account. All of these things will be contingent. Can you get a bank account without ID now? Like, can you? If you show up to the bank right now and you can't present to them government ID, can you get a bank account? No, you can't. Mm -mm. You can't. So when the vaccine passport becomes attached to the ID and the only valid government ID has an attached vaccine passport, you're fucked. You're fucked. And no amount of no amount of tweeting is going to is going to stop that. So you've got to understand that, like, that's the reality right now. Right now, you're given the opportunity right now. So it's like talking about it. 
talking about is fine if you're doing something and you're like, come be a part of it, right? So like, so, so, so that's where it's at. It's not, there's one strategy. One, we've reached the point where there's one strategy. Find, figure out what it is to be righteous and act that way 24 seven. That's it. Sure. Now, yeah. Vin, you, you said, oh, sorry, Nick, you said something that really stuck out to me about how, when you have kids, that perspective really shifts. Um, I, I got four kids from eight to two. I got twins that are two years old. So, and within five years, I was single in 25 and then I met my wife. She had a three-year-old daughter, uh, married her, had three more kids really fast. So boom, life shifted. And you are a hundred percent right on that. Like Nick and I both grew up in a very strict Catholic household, Christian conservative. My, our dad was a entrepreneur, business owner. Um, I kind of drifted away, never, never became an atheist, but always just kind of drifted away from the church in my early twenties. And once I had kids, it's kind of like, I feel like I'm turning into the mom from Waterboy, where I'm like, that's the devil. This is the devil. Like, it's <laughs> the music, the toys, it's everywhere. And um, so, I mean, can, can you kind of expand upon your experience of, of why your perspective flipped when you had kids? Well, I had been like from a spiritual standpoint and, and my life reflected it. Like I, I am a very spiritual person. I've been, I, I would, I guess, consider myself a mystic. Right. And so like I've pursued very heavy spiritual pursuits throughout my whole life. And so I was well aware of, you know, this idea of powers and principalities. Like I was very well aware that there are higher energies and consciousnesses out there that can be tapped into. And I had made an, a, a choice to tap into those that I, I guess would be described as fallen, right? Where you're like, that's the devil. I was like, I'm with it, right? Get, <laughs> let me get with that. And, you know, that, that carries a lot of cost, but it also came with a, a, a very interesting life. And when I met my wife and we, you know, got together and she just is a special per kind of person. And then when, uh, when she's pregnant, I just, I made the decision that like, well, that's, I can't be still behaving in this way. And it wasn't that I turned to the church immediately or anything like that, but it was just like, I need to step away from that and approach, approach life in a different way because the cost, I'm not going to have my children bear, bear this cost that I'm bearing, right? Every, everything is reciprocity. Everything, that's, that's the spiritual, it's the material world too. You know, like there's a cost to everything. Nothing is for free. And, so that, and that's true in the spiritual world. That's true in the emotion, that's true in the emotional sphere as well. And I mean, for, for my children, of, of course, that love that you feel, that protectiveness that you feel, you know, I, I'm, I guess, I guess in my heart, regardless of whatever it is, I must be a good person uh, or, or I'm trying to be. And so it was just undeniable in that regard. But it also the biggest thing I would say is that the perspective shifted of of what would be what would be a mark of success. So I think at a certain point, it's like, well, how many people can I influence? We're in this influencer culture where everybody wants to be an influencer. Oh, I'm influencing people. I've got a lot of influence. There's a lot of people following me and and I say something and then they do it or whatever. And and that's a lot of people think I'm their hero. Right? So like at the height of sort of the things that I was doing, people were literally stopping me on the street and saying that because I was a star of a TV show. 
where I was presented in a very heroic way. And so I would have strangers running up to me from a distance and say, oh, my God, you're my hero. And you think, oh, you think, oh, well, that's good. That's what I want. But now I could really care less if my kids don't think I'm their hero. Hmm. Like, that's the only people that I care to be, whether or not they think I'm a hero, is my children. Everybody else could think I'm a piece of shit. And it, it, it would roll off my back if, if to my kids, they, they continue to think into their adulthood and later, and that as they remember me is as their hero and that I behaved in a heroic way in terms of how I raised them and took care of them and everything. That's for me, that's all I care about. And that's where the big perspective shift is because then it, because then it allows you to live in truth. You know, then it allows you to speak when nobody sees the things that you're seeing. And then you're like, no, I'm going to say this in truth. And if I'm wrong, if I'm wrong, I'll say, well, you know what? I was wrong. Back to the drawing board. Let me be better. Let me understand where I screwed up and didn't see this, you know, and that that's a heroic, that's heroic action. But at the the same time, it's like my kids, how do they spend their days? They spend their days on a a beautiful beach. They've spent the last year. They don't know there's a COVID, there's COVID going on and any of that stuff. We left from California. People are locked down. You know, my kids have been free. Do I care if anybody else is free? I mean, I'm not going to hide that I'm here, but do I care? That's the perspective, right? That's where the perspective changes. Do I give a shit about anybody else before them? No, never, never. Right. No, amen to that. That's very well put. So to kind of tie into that, um, I and you talked about like influencer culture, and I actually, I just recently finished up your first book, And that, you know, to kind of tie into like creating value and stuff like that. Um, I had had seen that you retweeted a graphic that showed the amount of men that had not had sex in the last year. And I've seen people approach that from a variety of ways in terms of like, you know, some people claim there's like a a woke, you know, like the the church of woke has declared a a war on, on heterosexual males and stuff like that. And, and a lot of this stuff has been dismissed by, I guess you could like third and fourth wave feminists. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I kind of wanted to, to get your thoughts on that, you know, and, mm-hmm. and tie in as well that like people are, you know, there's a lot of people in, in the millennial generation that don't want kids. They don't want to start a family. Mm-hmm. So does that kind of tie into a lot of your theories on, on the dim age and stuff of that nature? Yeah, there, uh, so there's a lot there. Um, one of the difficult things that we deal with is getting caught up in a debate about the causes of our current situation. You'll notice that if you look at the debate in the public square, so much of, a, so much of it is a debate about what is the cause, right? Like, forget about this particular one, but like even look at like the police brutality. Yeah. There's, there's very little on, let's say both sides about what is the, like there's, there's, there's little debate about what's happening. I think the George Floyd thing was pretty clear on that. Like here's the video. Dude's got his knee on his neck. And this is not like some amazing outlier thing. That was the other thing that everybody was like, well, 
Even those who are totally back the blue are like, yeah, this happens from time to time, but here's the reason. Right? They say, here's the cause. And then the other side is like, no, the cause is systemic racism and white privilege and toxic masculinity and blah, blah, blah. All of those things. But the cause is really, when we get caught up in that, we're, we fucked ourselves, basically. We're screwed. When, we get, when, when that becomes what we're doing. Because we can go, you'll never know the cause. We can go back and forth on that all day, and we're getting, it's not stopping what's occurring. We're not mitigating the situation. So, and, and we're also not addressing, well, if this continues at the pace that it's continuing, what is that going to look like? Like, what does that mean? What does that mean for us if it continues in that way? And so, what does it mean when, so, so the graphic was about the age, I believe it was the age at which uh, people are reporting being virgins. I believe that's yeah. what it was. Yeah, yeah, it was. So that, so that they have had no sexual partners. And what is the age? And that the age for men has gone, it's skyrocketed, right? It's like crazy mm -hmm. high. And that's a real problem. Like that's a, that's a big problem. Um, even an evolutionary biologist would say, no, this is, the one thing that you don't want to have is you don't want to have packs of roving sex-starved young men. That's the last thing that you want to have in a society. Like, all types of bad things happen when that's the case. We can even see that in primates. Like, that's going to be a bad situation in terms of for order. Like, this is just a recipe for chaos. Mm -hmm. And this is... You can easily see how you get militant groups when that's the situation. If you repress sexuality in men in that way you it, the, the end result is militancy the end result is somebody's going to get killed and we don't have to get into all of the and 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 it, it's it's just it's everywhere it's in any culture that you look where you do that that's going to be the situation now are there people who don't want to have children that's also another thing right and then we've got to say well what does that mean moving forward if we don't have you know replacement of the population what does that mean? Well, it means that you have a bunch of people who never developed the perspective that me and Mike are talking about, which is actually just as important for a man to develop. So, so you, can't, you, you, never, you decide, oh, I'm not going to have kids, or women decide they're not going to have kids. Well, you, you fall to nihilism. You fall to nihilism because what am I living for? Like your vision of how far you extend into the future ends with the end of your life. And so the way that in which you behave is completely different than it would than than the way that you would behave if what you were looking forward to is oh I need to make sure my kids are taken care of, right? Yeah, and, and everything that that entails. Sure. To, to add to that, you know, Jordan Peterson really hammers that point home about how they this culture makes it so the ultimate thing a woman can do is have a successful career and just become elderly with a shit ton of money in the bank with no kids, no grandkids nothing for the twilight years of their life and and how that's such a, a bass backwards view of how we're supposed to evolve as as a species and and when you look at it too it's like I, I look down the road and i'm only 30 years old but like i i'm excited to have grandkids someday i think that'd be a, mm -hmm. a very amazing thing because i i was super mm -hmm. close to my grandfather and i can't wait to play that role and, and guide those kids like 
I mm -hmm. I'm hope that the world is in a stable enough place and I can keep them protected and get my kids to a point where they have kids. I mean, I got four of them, so hopefully some of them have kids. But um, <laughs> it's uh, it, that's something that I don't know. I'm very old fashioned and traditional, I guess, as I've gotten older. But I'm an outlier among people my age, like having yeah stay at home. I have a stay at home wife and four kids. I'm, I'm one. Well, that's a pro that's a problem. Yeah. Well, it's it, it well in some ways it is a problem in some ways it's not a problem because one thing that's going to happen is they're going to they're just going to kill themselves off in a couple of generations. So it's an unsustainable I'm not weird as a culture going to to be anti-natalist. Anti-natalist is an unsustainable it's a suicide cult. So it's an unsustainable cultural meme. You cannot base a culture and expect it to survive on a, a, an antithetical view toward having children. It's pretty obvious. I mean, <laughs> yeah. we're, mor we're mortal creatures, right? So it's like, well, we have to reproduce if we want to continue on. And, and uh, there's, uh, he calls himself, what does he call himself? The Jolly Heretic, Professor Dutton. Have you guys ever seen any of these videos? They're awesome. He's, he's, he's kind of a, a little fringe guy, but he had a great, I shared a video that he had He's, I think he's an evolutionary uh, biologist or psychologist, one of those. And he is talking about the fact that basically what's go what you're going to get is you, you either end up getting the hyper-religious or the below-average intelligent. Those are the two who end up having a lot of children. Because the, the, the hyper-religious, it's like it's a moral duty to have the children. Right. And then the high, the below average intelligence is like they don't have good impulse control. That's a part of what. That's, well, it's true. I mean, that's, no, that's, yes. that, that, that's but but that's literally true. Like your impulse control and your IQ are very correlated. This is not like a question. So the more intelligent you are, the greater your ability for controlling your impulses. But come on. We know this. Like, take somebody who's got like a 50 IQ who's mentally disabled and see how good their impulse control is. It's very bad, right? And then, and then take somebody who's a, you know, genius, who spends twenty years writing a two thousand page magnum opus on the history of you know Roman pottery or something, and it's like, well, yeah, there's a lot of impulse control there for that person <laughs> right, to work right. that hard to do that, right? That's not an eighty IQ person is not going to pull that off, and so that's what you end up getting. But what does the world look like? Like, what does the world look like before they kill themselves off? Because it'll be generations. Like, how bad can they tear it all down before that time? That's really what you got to, to think about. So it's like they're, they're in a high-speed train that's headed for a wall. And the question is, are you going to stay on the train and bang into the wall and try to pick yourself up afterwards. You know, even if you're relatively far to the back and you're wearing body armor and you've got airbags and all of that, are you going to be in the crash? We're all going to be somewhat in the crash, but it's like now you've got an opportunity to figure out like where in this train are you going to sit? Make yourself like, you know, really protect yourself. That's that's the space that we're in. Hmm. It's not a different space. It's a really good analogy. Yeah, Vin, so I would say this. So... Like I'm 26 years old. I think when I first discovered your stuff, it was uh, it was actually a Jordan Peterson interview that you did with him. I, I maybe it was 2017 or 18. It was a few years back, and you know I would say that there are two people that really rocked and changed my worldview uh, as an adult outside of my my family, like my dad and you know relatives. 
And that was Ron Paul, who ran for president when I was a senior in high school. That just completely flipped my conservative worldview on its head and, and really changed the lens that I see the world in. And the second one was Jordan Peterson. And that's, you know, when I first heard him and his actual, you know, psychology stuff, I was 22 years old. I had just started dating my now wife and I, I was in between jobs and I just didn't know what I wanted to do. And I felt sort of aimless. And of course, you know, like the old advice, like, oh, you know, just follow your passion and work hard and all this stuff. But I needed like more intellectual substance to it. And mm. at first I thought it was completely detached from my kind of libertarian political views. But then as you, as you kind of progress and get older and, and see more of what's going on in the world, you realize that they're very much intertwined. And if somebody was to listen to, you know, you, let's just say an open-minded normie listened to this podcast and heard everything you're saying, they'd go, wow, this guy's really deep and, and has some, you know, very novel ideas. But really, you're just elaborating on these older ideas, like be the change you want to see in the world, walk the walk. Mm -hmm. This is nothing new. You're just, you're, you're re, not, not rebranding, but you're elaborating on these principles. And it's, it's really, the world has changed at the individual level. So when mm -hmm. we talk about the strategy moving forward, what what role does that play, right? Beyond like debating about mask mandate policy and and taxes and all these things, do you think that culturally that's really the answer? Like just try to inspire as many young people to just like you said bear your cross and you know plan for posterity, like have kids and have a vision for the future. Is that the way that you see out of this thing? Well, I think the, the better way to look at this, and this is what I've been trying to communicate to people, is these patterns are ancient. So we are these cycles that happen. There is a human social cycle. There are cycles. And again, this is something that any parent knows, especially if you have more than one kid, that while the kids are different, right, they're going to have different personalities. They're going to come into the world in different ways. They're going to approach the world. My two, I have two daughters who are very different from one another and in almost, they're almost polar opposites of one another in terms of how they approached each stage of their life. And so while they may approach those stages of their life differently, they approach the same stages, right? So like they move through life in the same with the same pattern. That pattern's built into their biology. It's just a part of how things go. And so culture, cultures, and culture itself moves through these patterns. There are cultural patterns. And these patterns have been recorded and noticed throughout history forever. And the idea that there's these stages. So what you're seeing a lot now, which, which I think is notable, is that through this, what has happened is as the woke has come up, so has tradition on the other side. So tradition with a capital T is really, I think that's the watchword. For me, this has been the watchword of this last year to where I've been like, what is, what is truly important? Uh, and I'm saying what is important as I'm looking and what do people think is important? And it's tradition. So you have on it's this is the battle of novelty versus tradition. The woke have gotten so novel to where you don't even know well how many letters are on the LGBTQ plus A N Z uh, period. It's, it's, still it's, it's, it's literally yeah. everyone but just like, heterosexual Christian males. Well, yeah. well, when they added in just a symbol of a plus sign, I was like, we've really reached because they were like 
It doesn't even have to be letters. It could be a plus sign. It's going to be an emoji next, right? Like maybe the furries, they'll just do an emoji of like a cat. <laughs> you <know? laughs> you're, you're laughing. You're laughing. But it's that's, probably going to be true. It, yeah. That's yeah. like that's, that, you're laughing, but that's how absurd things have gotten, right? So, mm-hmm. on the other side, what you're seeing is this rise of tradition, and that can be bad and good, because I think there's a misunderstanding. A lot of people they want the form of tradition. So what you see is there's an aesthetic push towards tradition. They're like the look of the icons. You know, they want old Christian icons. They want to pull Renaissance paintings. They want like the whole trad thing. Mm-hmm. Or it's like, I'm going to do the form of tradition. Let me just go have a bunch of kids and all of that. But what is tradition really there for? Well, tradition is the oral history of these cycles. That's what it's, that's what it's meant to do. It's a vessel that has been carrying the knowledge of your culture and the remembrance of how did we get through this the last time. And it's not how do we, like with the kids, it's not how do we specifically get through this. It's about a mentality and a pattern of behavior that will work like consistently, right? That it's like, behave this way towards the people around you. Love your neighbor as yourself. Don't hurt people and don't take their stuff. You look at the Ten Commandments and you're like, oh, yeah, no matter what the society is, thou shalt not steal. Yeah, theft will screw up. It will put this world into chaos. It will screw up. If we want to all live together, we can't be stealing from each other. Wow, That okay. You won't murder. You won't covet your neighbor, neighbor's goods or his wife. God, how many, like, if that's not envy, right? And then what, you're going to cheat with the neighbor's wife, and how does that destroy so many families and the whole, you get what I'm saying? It's like, yeah. these are just, <laughs> these are just, Really, like, they just make sense. They're just obvious. They're self-evident that this yeah. <laughs> that this is the way to live, right? And so that's, that's the approach tra- to tradition. So to answer your question, as far as I can tell, and what I've been doing in my own life is an exploration of tradition. And the important thing about tradition is that in some ways, at least at first, you have to surrender to the entire tradition. It's not about, let me pull something. Oh, that sounds good. Let me pull from this and pull from that and pull from this and pull from... Won't work. That's like saying, let me pull this gene from out of this animal and this gene from out of this animal and this gene from out of this animal. You're going to make something that basically can't... Eat, that, that just is disgusting looking first yeah. and then just, then just <clears throat> died and can't reproduce, right? Because, you're, because your, your genetic makeup your genome is a, it's a memory. Like this is something I write about in my new book that like that it is a tradition. You can't just pull a gene out of a human being and be like, it'll be fine. Just start. Nah, we don't need, we don't like that one. We don't like that one. We don't like that one. It's like, no, they all are an entire whole memory. So like at first you have to surrender to the entire tradition, pick a tradition, one that's still around, one that's been around for a long time and surrender to the entire tradition. That's literally the only, the only thing. That's the only way that, that we're going to make it through this as individuals, that as far as I can tell, because there's far too much novelty and there's far too many choices and the chances of you picking the wrong mutation. Each one of those is a mutation, right? 
And most mutations are fatal. 99.99999% of mutations are fatal. So every time some new novel concept is introduced into the culture, look what it does. Like, what was the last novel concept that was introduced into the culture that has had any positive effect? Natural rights, maybe. I mean, that's yeah, pretty that's, old, too. That's, that's as old as it gets. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. pretty old. That's a really good question. I'm trying to think about it, and I, I don't have anything. No. There isn't it, one. Like, no. all you ever see, all you ever see is a rearticulation of old concepts. So it's like somebody might say something like, well, what about the civil rights movement? And it's like, wait, you mean uh, the preacher, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.? You mean the guy who was getting up there and quoting scripture? Right. <laughs> right. That's new? Huh? Like the, the, the Declaration of Independence. Well, the Declaration of Independence, no monarchy. Uh, wait, endowed by their creator with certain. Wait, that creator is a really old. That's a real old concept that the creator is is uh, made us in his image. Yeah. And endowed us with rights. That's about as old. That's like chapter two of the Bible, guys. Two. Like second page. You know what I'm saying? Like this is this is as old as it gets. So all you ever see. So when you say, "Oh, you're not saying anything new. You're just articulating the old thing." It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. It, it's uh, it, I've been recently just kind of realizing that the whole progressive agenda it really kind of just focuses on dismantling traditional Christian values from society. Yes. you know, it's yes. like they want to mainstream norm, like weird sexual fetishes. Um, yeah abortion just they want to basically piss off christians is what the whole thing seems to be about and it's just been it's been so hard to watch where i was born in 1990 and you know like, like i said i grew up in a, in a strict catholic household but went to catholic private school till till fifth grade then i mm -hmm. went to public school and i remember like it was almost like you kind of be embarrassed to say you believed in god um just mm -hmm. because like you're john stewart's everyone they mocked your family guy like everything was mocked so relentlessly that it was like oh man these people go to church like you had to like, mm -hmm. even when I say it now at 30 years old, it's still kind of like, are, are people from high school judging me when I say that? Like, I, that I believe mm -hmm. in God and I'm raising my kids going to church. And like, that is such an unhealthy thing to like remove. Uh, like I said on a couple of episodes back, like the, the beautiful thing about religion is that people have a set of beliefs. Like, like you said, don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal. They hold themselves accountable to a higher power. Yes. yes. And when you remove that, well then, what are you holding yourself accountable to? Well, no, yeah. now now the government is the is the being or the entity that's watching you, logging all your data, judging you from the sins of your past, and they're holding that you accountable to to their worldview, and that keeps mm -hmm. changing. So no one's mm -hmm. immune to it, and at least God, when you believe in God, everything is consistent. Like it, it mm -hmm. never changes through time. Like you said, don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal. Those are forever going to be timeless, like great mm -hmm. attributes of a, of a civilized society. Um, and, and I think that's basically where it all began was like in the, in the sixties, the hippie movement was just like removing Christian values. Like they went on an agenda to, to just kind of normalize everything. And they threw the baby out with the bathwater. Mm -hmm. Well, you can't, the interesting, or maybe the, is this interesting? It's revealing. So, uh, Tom Holland, this author wrote this great book called dominion that I, that's been like, he's, it's really good that it's, it just basically says that like everything in, Western culture. We're so Christian that like we can't not be Christian. Even when we try to dismantle Christianity, we do it in a Christian way. It's basically like that. <laughs> right. And so the 
But that's see, that's dangerous because it's like, well, if you're operating within this Judeo-Christian vernacular environment, and then you, but then you're the enemy of Christianity. You go against that those who believe that, let's say, Christ is the King, Christ is sovereign, right, and that that is who you are accountable to. Well, then who are you working for? Who are you working for? Because you're not working for like Ganesh, or something like that. You know, you're not, you're not working for some uh, Native American, you know, Masa, the Hopi All Father. You know, you're not working for like Odin or something like that. Well, who are you working for? And 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 that's like a. I think people will start to understand a lot more what the nature of reality is and why a tradition that, like you say, has been made fun of and poo-pooed, well, why is it stuck around for thousands of years? Right. Right. So it's like, if this is absurd, if this way of looking at the world is ineffective, if it's absurd, if it is not a reflection of reality, how did it take over the world? How? And, and furthermore, if you're somebody like Sam Harris, you should just quit then. Like, just quit. Quit what you're doing. Because if it's absurd things that take over the world, so if Christianity, Islam, if they're all absurd, and if they took over the world, and basically humans are fundamentally the same as they were at that time, might even be dumber overall and less capable of interacting with their world, honestly. Honestly, no, because when, when Christianity took over the world, most people, you could drop them in the middle of their environment and they would survive. They would survive. They knew how to dig a well. They knew how to plant crops. They knew how to take care of livestock. Who do you know who knows how to do any of that stuff and could do it right now? To, could build the tools to do it right now. Could build a house for themselves right now. How many people do you know? Right. So it's like they were actually more competent. Those people were more competent. And yet, to them, in touch with reality, hands in the ground, these stories reflected reality enough for them to completely alter their lives. Hmm. So if they're absurd, then somebody like Sam Harris should just quit. Because absurd stories is what's going to take over the world. So why are you even trying to be a rationalist? Why are you, why are you saying these stories are absurd? And then you're trying to like spread your rationalism. It's not going to go anywhere. Can't. Mm. History says it won't. Humans don't. That's not how humans work. And we know that's not how humans work. It's stories. And, and 2020 was the evidence of that. Because if you tell a good ghost story about invisible enemies that do all kinds of crazy things, and then if, if you cover up your face, and then if you stand six... Uh, feet apart from each other and if you slam things into your body that you have no idea what it is and then like we'll tell you this is what the number is and then oh if we open grocery stores big box grocery stores but close the uh yeah. you know hair salon <laughs> right yeah that yeah. that will that will fix it right <clears throat> we have we have essential businesses and non-essential businesses and the virus knows the virus knows it's, that we have smart. done our job. It's it's so <laughs> it's smart. So smart. Yeah. It's so smart that it's like, you know what? 
they closed hair salons. I got to I got it. They beat me. <laughs> and you know, if you go to I got to go away. If you go to a uh, bar, yeah. it, it comes out at 10 p.m. So as long as you're there before that's, 10, that's get your drinks. So, oh, yeah. Curfew. Curfew. Yeah, we're going to do a curfew. <laughs> at 10 yeah, which just bottlenecks people together. Like I said, the, the local Walmart by my house, when this all went down, they have usually two entrances, like an entrance mm-hmm. and an exit on the east and the west side. And they just block down one entrance and then they put like a chain link podium, like 60 feet out. So literally everybody just gathers at this point and they cluster together. And then they wouldn't let you go to like the grilling and camping section. It's like you're literally forcing people together. <laughs> even if this is your stated goal to social distance, you're not even doing that. It's it's just very bizarre. You know, you're, it's just chaos. I also don't think it's any coincidence that one of the first things they closed was bars and churches. Of course, because because that's where that's where like in human history, that's where all resistance has begun. Absolutely, you know. But but it's, but it's not on his but book. it's not on purpose. This is what you got to understand. It's not on purpose. No, no. Like it's the nature of the pattern. The nature of the pattern is if you if you don't close bars and churches, you can't have tyranny. Right. So it's like. They weren't thinking, well, we're going to be necessarily, right? We're going to be tyrants, so we're going to close bars and churches. But it's just like the natural enemy of a tyrant, whether they know it or not, is a bar, are bars and churches, like even in their subconscious. And so Mm -hmm. it becomes the first thing on their, oh, that's got it. Oh, I'm scared of that because they're scared of them. It's so interesting that a bar and a church, they're such polar opposites in normal society, but those get boxed into the same category <laughs> from a psychopath's perspective. Yeah, you know, like, they are. Well, they're traditionally, they, they are traditionally connected to one another. Very much so bar bars and, and churches. Um, there's not like even the Puritans, they had taverns and whatnot. There's, there's not a prohibition against drinking. Right. I mean, as a matter of fact, like in Orthodox Christianity, there are only certain days, like specific fast days, when it's like no wine. But wine is completely acceptable on all the days that are not fast days. But those same fast days have things like no meat, no oils. The mm-hmm. whole idea is that you're not going to be a drunk, right? That you're not going to fall into the passion and become your passions and become a, a drunk because that's terrible. But you also aren't going to become a glutton. Right. You're you're so it's like there's a level of I'm going to put this in front of me, but it's obviously it's I, I mean, it's from it's from God. Like the ability, the fact that it, that wine and that wine can is a social lubricant. It's all of these things. Religious people were going, you know, a minister would go and meet in a tavern with the people there and have a glass of wine with them. That's you know, it's not like, I mean, my, my uncle who baptized me, uh, Roman Catholic, he's a Jesuit. He would always, anytime he came over for dinner, he would always have a cocktail, maybe some wine. You know, it's, it's totally normal. <laughs> you, you go back and you read like the Order of Benedict, like the Order of St. Benedict, which is about the monks. And there's whole sections in there where it's like, oh, well, clearly they're drinking wine in the monastery. Because they're like, well, you know, maybe you shouldn't have this much wine. But if you want, 
if he's a little bigger guy, he could have an extra couple glasses. Like it's literally in there, like in this yeah, the, ancient, like St. Benedict writing this, you know what I mean? Yeah. There was one about like, you know, the, Jesus talking about how they brought the cheaper wine out later. Cause everyone was liquored up. Like, so yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's so they, I mean, wine is alcohol is a, wonderful like beautiful substance when used correctly and for fellowship you know for sitting down and having conversations deep conversations not for going out and there's a big difference between you invite some people over you know who are good friends in a nice environment and you sit and you have a couple glasses of wine and you talk about important things you know that's very different than oh i'm gonna go out and get shit-faced Right. And like stumble home with some random person, like because you've had all of your inhibitions removed, right? You don't want them all removed. You just want a little bit of the societal bullshit taken away. And so that you can communicate as two human beings, which alcohol can do for sure. You know, that's how this podcast started. <laughs> Dude, it's how so many it's how so yeah. many things happen uh, over over a few beers or something like oh, yep. yeah that's great what yeah dude it's it's fantastic it to completely deny I, I think it's 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 people who have taken things too far and who don't really get like what's what's the point they're not they're not spiritually evolved when they're like oh or they don't trust themselves you know oh I can't drink I get and it's like yo man this isn't about drinking. If that's you, this isn't about drinking. If you're the guy who gets drunk, a little bit drunk, and you do something that you regret, you've got more shadow work to do, man. It's, you know, Jungian shadow work. You've got deeper issues. The wine is, and vino veritas, the wine is helping you in wine truth. You know, it's bringing that out. Let's deal with that. You need to deal with that, right? <laughs> now that you've seen it, it's brought it out for you to see. So now you need to deal with it. Yeah, my, my grandpa was a strict Catholic his whole life, but he um, drank moderately, and he, he always said it was like three beers was the magic number. It was like three and out, he mm -hmm. called it like a baseball game. He's like, after three beers, you're just chasing the three-beer three, three beer buzz, and it never comes back, and it just you plateau and go downhill. There's no wise coming back man. to that three-beer. Yep. Wise man. That's that's I, I, He's absolutely right. That's a yeah. wise – your grandfather was a wise man. I think you have to – but you can all, you also know that he had had a few experiences. If he's saying that, he's in his fifties when I was born, so I never saw his wild side. Okay. But yeah, I mean, Jordan Peterson yeah. talks about how you got to pass yeah. through the darkness to see the light. Yeah. So oh, for sure, dude, for <laughs> sure. I mean, and and the more darkness you encounter, the more light there is to see. Mm -hmm. You know, so I'm definitely not one who who advises or would advise somebody to you know, do kind of strict abstinence and see what kind of like an uh, a absten abstaining warrior you could be an athlete and all of that. It's like not dig into the, dig into the tradition, whatever tradition it is and see what the real wise people say on the other end. And they'll say something just exactly like your grandpa, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's very all cool. in moderation. Well, cool. We're closing in on an hour, Vin, and I don't know how much time you got or anything. If there's anything else you want to I talk got, about, no, I got I got time for you guys. If there's something you guys want to talk about, well, cool. Yeah, I mean, I know Nick and Tyler have some more questions prepared. If you guys have anything else you want to want to get in, I mean, it's been a really fun conversation so far. Yeah. Nick, you got yeah. anything? I oh yeah, no, I could. Uh, well, you can go ahead and and ask first. I got actually, I have a couple notes I put down on my phone. If you want to 
So I think we kind of covered, you know, reaching the uh, the politically apathetic and and the kind of how it's it's probably not a worthwhile endeavor. Shoot, we might have covered all mine. Do you think? Yeah. That, <laughs> do you think that there's a, a grand strategy, or is it just a continued power play? There. So this that's actually a complex question. That's a it very is. complex. That's story. a broad brushstroke. Um, <laughs> so, so it's complex in this way. Like it depends on what you mean. It depends on what you mean. And so I'll try to frame this in a way that doesn't like immediately turn people off. And I've been trying to get good at framing this, but it's a hard one to frame because it requires, it requires a, a bit of thinking and a bit of background. But it's, I, I mentioned that thing about the powers and the principalities. Mm -hmm. And uh, maybe I'll say something that I, I said to uh, one of the guys who's here. There's like several young guys that it's been very nice to, who are here, who have traveled here, guys in their 20s, who, you know, I, I, it's, it's not that I uh, was seeking out a, a role of being a mentor, but it's like, well, I'm here. So, and they're asking. So, you know, let's talk about it. But he's, he's definitely uh, politically kind of right leaning. And he's, um, you know, he's he has read a lot of Curtis Yarvin. He definitely goes uses the term the cathedral and all of that. But maybe that's a, a prime term, right? So he he often will use the term the left. So a lot of people will use this term the left, or they'll use the cathedral, and they will say the cathedral wants, or the left wants X. That's a very interesting thing to say. I just had this conversation with him yesterday because he was having, he was like, I don't know, this powers and principalities thing. Uh, and I was like, look, we don't even need to get mystical with it. You already know that the world sort of exists in this way. Because every time you say, you know what, the left, the left wants to eliminate, the left wants to take away your guns. Let's, let's use that one. Okay, well, you just assigned agency to the left. Okay, well, what is the left? Right? You said the left is an agent. Because it wants something, which means it's got some level of consciousness, right? Even a, you, you might say, well, my dog wants a treat. Okay, well, you've assigned agency to the dog. It has desires. It has a, a motivation toward a thing, right? So that's, it. that's agency. That's consciousness when we say that. Well, how can the left have consciousness? So what is the left? Well, you're not talking about any given person. Because clearly you could take any given individual and you could remove them or they could not exist or they could die tomorrow and yet the left will continue and the left will continue to want something. And as a matter of fact, everybody who's in the left as of today who we would say belongs to the left, right? Belongs to the left. That's interesting. That's an interesting term. Like Because again, we're giving agency. They serve the left. They're enslaved to. The, they're a slave to the left. What? What is that? Belongs to the left, like your dog belongs to you. So the, a, a human who belongs to another agent is what slave, servant? Who knows? Right? Something. But we recognize. Mm -hmm. We use these terms. Yeah. We understand that this is how the world actually works. And if every so the left is going to be here for generations, and it's existed for generations. So people are talking about critical theory and they're like, okay, well, we're going to talk about the left and the story of the left. And it's like, we'll take it back to Marx and then we'll go through the Frankfurt School and Foucault and all of this. All those people are dead. Whoever's in the left now was not the people in the left 80 years ago, but we will say the left existed. Like this thing, this creature, this entity existed. 
the left. So this is what is meant when in scripture they're talking about powers and principalities because we assign agency to it. So when somebody's like, there's no grand plan, there's no grand plan. It's like, well, there's no grand plan for any given individual. That's true. Just like there's no grand plan for any given honeybee. But clearly there's a grand plan for the hive. But where is that consciousness located? Where is the thing that is organizing all of these bees into one? Th like, where is the CPU? It's somewhere. Where's the operating system? It's somewhere. It's not mm -hmm. physical. We can't point it out. A piece of it is somehow in each one of their little tiny, tiny brains. How is this even possible? And yet we organize ourselves in that same way. So this is the powers and the principalities. So the question is, is there a grand plan? Yeah, the adversary has a grand plan. Hmm. The, the, the left as a, as a power or principality, if you want to call it fallen or demonic, <clears throat> something that is not following in the, 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 what would be in the pattern of what people would say was tradition or God or whatever. Is there a grand plan for that? Clearly there is. Clearly there is, because it's doing all of the things that people 30 years ago who were opposed to it said it wanted to do. You can't say there's no grand plan when it's like 30 years ago, they're like, well, the left wants to do this. The left wants to do that. And now they're, now they're doing it? Mm -hmm. How did you know? Yet somehow you knew. Somehow you know what the Church of Woke wants to do. Like, how was I able to predict a year ago? How do I know? Somehow I know that there's an entity that wants to do something. And then it's like, this week, the government announces, we're going to have a passport for you where you're going to have to get injected with something and it's going to record that. And if you don't, you may not be able to buy and sell things. Man, oh God, I've heard that before. Yeah. I've heard that before. What? This wasn't a psychedelic trip. This was... So Wait a minute. So you're telling me the Church of Woke existed all the way back then? This entity that has a grand plan, and this was its grand plan, and now it's playing out, and it plays out in big ways and small ways, and it's like the pattern over and over how 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 that's the question how and then it's like well why did these people believe that there were these powers and principalities why did these people believe that there were these in incorporeal these things with no bodies that could jump into somebody else and possess them well have you looked at what happens to the woke have you seen those pictures of like well she went into college and she looked like this yeah <laughs> jeez yeah right <laughs> Yeah. And but but do you notice that they all end up looking basically the same? Mm -hmm. Like they come out looking, they've got the problem glasses, the dyed yep. hair, shaved, gain weight, pierce the face, do the whole, and it's like, hmm. Yeah. Mm. And so what's inside what something is possessing them, and the internal is being reflected into the external, and this is what it looks like manifested. But what is really inside that's happening? Yeah. See, even this is where I turn back to like my Mama Boucher, where I'm like, 
the university is the devil. Like I just see that. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> it's, it's everywhere. And exactly. and you know, I wanted to say this. So like, Vin, I'm glad that you brought up like the same way that a bee is just part of a hive without really understanding what it's doing. I was literally going to ask you. One of my questions was: Is there is this a top down kind of hierarchy, the cathedral, or is it more of just a, a hive consciousness? And I think you answered that perfectly. They're the, well, they're the same. It's almost thing. like right. Yeah, they're right. the same thing. Right. Well, I mean, like you have the people that are like, oh, it's the Rothschilds or whatever, or the the Jesuits. But, um, you know, like when you look at it, it's you almost have to admire the kind of evil genius of the whole machine of the organism that is the the left or the cathedral, whatever you want to name it. And I remember mm -hmm. thinking this like in every single elementary school in this country for the last 20 years, when you're in like fifth grade, they put you in gym class in the public education mm -hmm. system and they make you dance to the cha-cha slide which I cringed yeah. at that song when I was 10 years old and I thought it was the most the horrid thing I'd ever heard. Ever. And I have a, th I had a theory in high school before I went down any conspiracy rabbit holes or anything. I'm like the cha-cha slide is a psyop to emasculate and break the wills of young men and make them obedient. And it, it's literally a song <laughs> that just you hate and they make you do it or you get in trouble. And the song literally just tells you what to do and you have to follow everything. And it's it just, it's the most cringe terrible song ever i mean if you found out like that played at a wedding and you got blackout drunk and did the cha-cha slide i would just move to another country or maybe saipan <laughs> well this you know what's interesting about the cha it's, it's interesting that you bring up the cha-cha slide because this was something like living in vegas i saw this phenomenon happen quite a few times where it would be like something out on the strip you know like sometimes on the strip they'd have like there's bars on the strip and there'd be a DJ or whatever inside and something going on. And from time to time, one of those DJs would play the cha-cha slide and everybody <laughs> would stop. Well, people of all races from all over. And I always thought that it was very interesting would then like, okay, we're, we're the same culture. We're going to do this thing, this ritual <sighs> all together. We're all from all these different places, but like right now, Oh, boom. Like we're of this, and it's almost like it was created. It creates the inside and the outside, and so and what it's really saying is, oh yeah, I went to public school too, just like you, right? <laughs> that's 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 what it is. This like, is kind of a yes. this is like a breakthrough moment because I, I I felt that way about the cha cha slide my whole life. I never knew Nick did. This is the first time I'm hearing about it. I kept <laughs> so it inside. You don't talk. You don't talk about it. Nobody talks yeah. about it. Yeah. Trumps. No, Trump's no, last executive order before he left office in his lame duck period should have just to just ban that song. Just and then and then you watch people break free out of the matrix after the cha-cha slide is gone. I think it's a real possibility. <laughs> that you well, what you have to understand is that these these are this is the depth of how this reaches innocuously. You think it's innocuous, these rituals. You think they're innocuous, but they're not innocuous. What they're what and and it's it's how you how you make a culture cohere to itself outside of tradition, like with novel with novel things that are not not related to, let's say, the kingdom of God, right? That are not. I'm going to use that term as opposed to the church of like in opposition to the church of woke, and that basically what you have is you have novelty from a materialist standpoint. This is the battle. As above, so below. Because what is the battle of evolution, really? The battle of evolution is one side, one power, 
is trying to mutate things. The other power is trying to keep them exact in line, right? And life is the battle between that. And evolution is that, that one little mutation that's like, oh, that's a righteous mutation. But, but it's so rare. It's why it takes billions of years for a species to evolve, right? But there's something out there that wants to mutate, 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 mutate. And if you notice that it's like, when we depict, let's say the demonic, like for better or worse, what it's depicted as is mutated human beings. Like if, if there's a movie and a demon shows up, it's, it's basically, it's somebody with a birth defect, basically. Like that's, that's what we're representing is like, ooh, this was a, some sort of a crazy birth defect. The, in 300, the Epthialthes character, yep. Yep. When, when he goes into, and the, you, you know, the, the uh, king is like, you know, Cyrus, right? Was it? Which, which, Xerxes. Xerxes, yeah. Xerxes, Xerxes yeah. was the king of Persia at that time. And Xerxes is like, no, no, look. And you see like, and everybody's like deformed, just like him. You know, there's all, there's all these deformed individuals there. And it's like, the, it's, these are the two, like one is tradition and one is novelty. So almost every novel mutation, right? And this is not like a moral, I'm not, I, I, God forbid, I'm not that person, right? Like I'm not trying to make some, some, moral statement about somebody who has a situation that is unfortunate with them, like a genetic mutation, right? Like, absolutely not. That's not what I'm trying to say. Like every, every individual in that way deserves dignity. Right. But what I'm trying to say is that this is, this is the nature of things is that novelty, when we introduce novelty, we are, we are introducing difficulty and maybe death, maybe death. Because honestly, if you're born with a birth defect and you live, especially if you live like a full life, that's actually relatively rare. Mm-hmm. You know, like usually that's going, to, that's going to be the thing that kills you. Usually, you know. And so it, it is, uh, we, th- this, is, this is what we see. And this is the reason why like the, it, it may appear, it may appear that, um, no, I mean, that, that's, that's it. It's, it's what, what, what you see is novelty outside of tradition. Tradition happens to be religion. It's just what it is. Right. Mm-hmm. For I mean, better right. or worse, it's, that's, that's what it is. Yeah, it's our oldest recorded archives, period. That's it. And, and so... To say for it to be embarrassing for you to be like, yeah, I'm religious is actually really dangerous. Right. If you've got a society that is like, ah, tradition, fuck it. Like all these thousands of years of people having solved the same issues over and over and over again and telling us how to solve them. How many times did Israel get destroyed in the Bible? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because it screws up. Like it's just, the Old Testament is nothing but the story of Israel getting destroyed for messing up. And it's like, ah, no, 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 no. Those guys, they're nothing like us. Right. Vin, do you ever watch any of the old original Twilight Zones from the late 50s, early uh, 60s? Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cause I, I recently watched the episode of The Obsolete Man where it's, uh, it's like this dystopian future where the, it's like a, basically a Hitler type that takes over and it's like a librarian that's sitting before these 
this uh, court and they're deeming him obsolete because being a librarian is obsolete because yes, the state has yes. deemed books to be obsolete. And he's trying to say like, you know, I'm a man, you can't make me obsolete. But that, that one was, I, I watched that after the COVID lockdowns and I, I knew my whole childhood, this episode, I always liked it and revered it very highly, but I like literally lost sleep after watching it post COVID lockdown. Cause it's like, literally this is what this guy was warning about 60 years ago. And mm-hmm. it, it's like this, oh, this is a pattern is basically what he was saying that these people mm-hmm. make themselves God and they will kill you to exterminate like opposing ideas. Um, and there's so many episodes though that, that do it. I mean, Rod Serling was just a genius for his time. I, I, I wish there were podcasts back then. Cause I'm sure he had a lot to say. <laughs> well, to add to that, it's like, you know, I know all of us here are fans of Jordan Peterson and to I know, uh, then you said you discovered him because you were, I think you were also into Carl Jung and you found like his lectures, I think before he blew up with bill C 16, Joseph but, Campbell, remember- actually Joseph Campbell. Yeah. Oh, okay. More than Carl. So, more than Carl. I got into Carl Jung way more after Jordan Peterson because then I was like, "Oh, okay, Jung. Okay, cool." But right. Campbell was really my entree for sure. Right. So when Jordan Peterson talks about the reason that people are so captivated by fictional stories, and he often uses like, you know, there's more truth in Shakespeare than there is in, you know, I forgot what the example he used, like something that is factual but doesn't have any truth in it. And I, I remember from like having this kind of gut instinct and never hearing it articulated in an intellectual way. But like in third grade, I read the Hobbit and all the Lord of the Rings books. And it was right when the movies were coming out and I was just completely captivated by it. And then the more you watch it, when you get older, it's like, Oh, like Tolkien had distilled the story of power and, and good and evil Mm -hmm. down to this one thing where there's all these different factions and you watch these principles at work all the time. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I always like to say that Ron Paul was like Frodo, the unlikely hero trying to destroy the ring. And unfortunately <laughs> he failed, but you know, but yeah, it's, it's very interesting how, how stories like that are, are passed on. And that's all that the Bible is are are parables. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's too true to deny. I don't understand how you could be, you could be an atheist and say, I don't think there's really this, this, you know, omnipotent power that created everything. But to throw the baby out with the bathwater and deny the significance of the Bible and say this has been a, a plague on mankind is, I mean, that's just an irreconcilable difference to, you know, people like us. I mean, it's how, how do you change somebody's mind who is so militant like that? Well, you could see, but this is what I was saying about the you have to take on the tradition wholesale. So it doesn't you could say, well, the Bible is very valuable, but this God thing. Right. This uh, this this notion of this uh, sovereign, non-corporeal, eternal creature is like, uh, yeah, that one's not good, but these are good stories. And it's like, no, nope, you got to take the whole thing. See, it doesn't work. It it works as a as a one coherent piece. And I think that this is one of the and, and but we've seen this over over eons. So this this is true of the whole history of the church. You got to ask, like, why is that version? Why is the version of the church where God is legit and real? Why is that the church that exists? Like, why is why can I not go down the street and find the church of the Christians who are like, yeah, we're good with the stories. But this God thing, no, like, it's just like doesn't exist. You might find some individuals like that, but it can't take hold. It can't take hold. And as an individual, you're going to suffer if you try to do that. Like if you really try to approach these stories 
and you don't have that basis, you're going to wind up exactly like Jordan Peterson is, right? Which is basically broken. He's broken because of this. And that's why he's now going and, I mean, look what he's doing. Elon Musk, I want you to be on my show, you know? What, mm-hmm. Elon Musk? Like, Jordan Peterson, Elon Musk? Like, what the, f- what are you talking about, bro? Like, that's it. That's not, he's like 15 levels, but nothing to do with you. This guy's yeah. on the, on a, on a trajectory that has nothing to do with you. Right? It's like, I, and, and it's because he's gone. It's over. And the reason that it's over is because he tried to pick and choose. No, these stories, they're interesting. You know what I mean? They're interesting stories with psychological significance. It's like, nope. Then just walk away. Then just walk away. Like, you got to take the whole thing. The whole the whole kit and caboodle. Because that's how it's built. Right? It's like being like, yeah, this human's pretty good, but that those ears, yeah. Not really not really cool with the ears. It's like, no, you got to have the, the ears are there for a reason. Sweat glands. I don't like it. Scott, the sweat glands are making this human stink. It's like, yeah, man, you don't want to take away the, the gene for the sweat glands. Like every single gene in your genome, you don't go futzing around with it, no matter how small you think it is. That's Chesterton's fence. And so that's going to be the difficult pill. That's going to be the hard pill to swallow, I think, especially for those who were baptized by Jordan Peterson. Right? The hard pill to swallow is... And, and, I see, and I see that there's a movement now, and it's going to die on the vine. There is a movement to be like, yeah, well, let's just continue this on in a very intellectual, like, Gnostic manner. And it's like, no, because there's no, there's no compass for you there. How do you know what you're supposed to do? Well, and the answer, like the Christian says, well, I ask God, and God tells me what to do. And then I the just magic. do whatever I'm told. That, what, yeah. It's the, that's the OG magic. Yeah. Right. But, <laughs> but it's the reason why the I the, so it's what it comes down to is so there's two things tradition and sovereignty. So the question is who's the sovereign? And th- maybe maybe this is a good way to like wrap all of this up in terms of what's the tactic. So people want a tactic like how do you get through this and how do you change things? It's it's actually a lot simpler than people think. A lot simpler and this is what's always changed it. Who is the sovereign? Who do you recognize as the sovereign? Now, it's not going to be good enough. If you recognize the state as the sovereign, okay, well, you're already, you're done. Yeah. You're already done. And the state is captured by, by the wokes. So it was okay to recognize the state as the sovereign before it was captured by the adversary. But once it's captured by the adversary, that's not going to work. So unfortunately, the people who, who have the religion of statism, where the state is the sovereign and the king is the sovereign, they're fucked. Right? So the Declaration of Independence, who's the sovereign? The creator. They're endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. That means the king can't take the rights away once given by the sovereign. So who does that mean once given by the creator? So who is sovereign even over the king, the creator? That's what's being said there. So it's about a sovereign. Now, you are not good enough as a sovereign or, or some group that you have or whatever. You're not good enough. That's, that's insufficient as a sovereign. Because if you're the sovereign, what you're going to do is the second that pain and suffering are there, you're going to give up your sovereignty. All they have to do for you to give up your sovereignty, if you're the sovereign, because your job as the sovereign is forget, like, eliminate pain. Make it so that I don't have pain. If you say, I'm the sovereign. I'm the sovereign. You're a hedonist. 
So the second that the state inflicts enough pain, you will give up your sovereignty to the state. You will surrender. The only solution that it's ever been is you have to say there is a greater sovereign that is above that king. And that is who I answer to. And I'm being told to not answer to the state. Because the, the individuals who, and the individuals who have done that throughout history are martyrs. And that's truly what carrying your cross means. That's really who you're carrying it for. You're carrying it for the sovereign. And so this is, this is the answer, and this is why you cannot throw, throw the God part out. Because if they're just good stories, you don't get the sovereign. And that's the big thing. That's the thing you need. You need a king. Who's the king? Who's the king that you're serving? You got to have a king. And it's got to be real to you. It's insufficient that it's intellectual because then you've just made yourself the sovereign. It has to be dead real, which means you have to participate in the rituals that make it real, which is what the cha-cha slide does. <laughs> <laughs> cha-cha slide is the devil. <laughs> anyway, that's, so, that's, so that's it. But that's also what the masks are. That's also what the vaccine is. Those are all you demonstrating who is the sovereign. That's what you're demonstrating. Very clearly, who is the sovereign. And so when you, when you say, I refuse the vaccine, and I refuse it because I answer, to, I answer to a king already, and that king says no to this, well then, and it's like, and do what you will, because it's real to me. The only way that this works, by the way, is when it's so real. So when your fear of God is greater than your fear of the state, that's the only way this works. That's it. That's the magic. That's the supreme magic of how this stops. That's the only way it's ever stopped. That's the only way tyranny has ever, ever, ever stopped. Amen is when there that. was a crit critical mass of people whose fear of God was greater than their fear of the tyrant. Period. Wow. And so, and that's, and that's it. Yeah, I'm, well, you know, and I, I'm, I, starting to, I'm starting to see like the ebbs and flows of history now. Like when you put it like that, like things make a lot of sense. No, this, yeah. is, a, this is a really good conversation. I mean, yeah. Yeah. no, Vin, at the beginning, I'm, I'm going to have to take a day to like process all this. Yeah, this is, good. this is good. You know, when we like right before this started, I'm like, I have no idea what directions this going to this is going to go, but I know it's going to be fun. You know, and those, and I did those are the best podcasts. Those are the best. Yeah, really. when it's not when it's not scripted and it just free flows like. You know, I've yeah. listened to a few podcasts of you now, and it's like I'm sure you get tired of talking about the move to Saipan and and all the same talking points. Yeah. So it's kind of fun to <laughs> <laughs> go to a different level. No, it's it's good, and I appreciate you guys that that because I, I mean, my instinct has been, and I even told somebody that probably within the next three weeks I'm going to like stop doing these podcasts and um, kind of focus more here and if people want to hear what the hell I, i'm going to focus more on code because there's things that need to be built for people mm -hmm. to, to to do this but it's like i'm i think that this gives an ability to plant a seed and at least to get the important things out that that i think are are important and that are tools cognitive at least for people to start oh yeah and so it's good tyler that that that's that's what I'm hoping. I'm I'm looking for what is the vein because it makes sense to me. Obviously, the patterns make sense to me, right? Which is how I've been able to predict what comes next. 
So it's like, what are the veins through which somebody can have that aha moment of like, okay, go back and look at all of history. And it's like, oh, it's unlocked. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah, like, it's, oh, it's, shit, it's unlocked, you know? <laughs> and that's that's the moment I just had, the ebbs and flows of history. It's it's a constant, constant battle. Vin, I got two quick questions before we Please, go. I'm um, here. Yeah, I'm here one, for you. Do you do martial arts? Any martial mm -hmm. arts? I could, I tell I you, did. I can sense it. I can sense it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I actually lived in, I actually lived in a dojo for a while. Uh, I trained Kyokushin, Kyokushin karate. Okay. It's the guy, it's the guys who fight Kumite. It's like the stand up. It's very, yeah, yeah. it's very mm -hmm. hardcore. Like, but so there's a, a deep, like spiritual lineage there. And my sensei was the, so Masoyama invented that style. It's very, it's a very interesting story. This is an interesting guy. If people want to want a hero, a historical hero, Masoyama is a big one. So Kyokushin Kai is like the biggest martial arts organization in the world. He founded it. He became famous because he, he went all, Masoyama, he went all over Japan and he would fight bulls with his bare hands. So he took, him, he took himself up into the mountains and lived for three years just training to develop this style. And a lot of it is about training your body. So Kyokushin guys and Muay Thai guys will fight each other often. It's a, it's a common thing to be like, oh, top Kyokushin fighter, top, top Muay Thai fighter, because so much of it is just about hardening your body to be able to take incredible damage. Like if you've ever watched Muay Thai, it's insane. Oh, and then watch, yeah. watch, watch top level Kyokushin and you're like, how are these guys taking these beatings? And it's just like, it doesn't even... So Masoyama started training students, called them Uchideshi, which is, means a live-in student. And so he would take on these live-in students. And if you could go for three years in training directly under him, like living there, he'd basically give you a dojo. And then you were a master and you were able to also have Uchideshi. So you could see how this thing grew, right? It's a church yeah. almost. It's a martial arts church. And it has all of the basic the elements in there. And my sensei was one of only three foreigners and the only American to have completed the three years before Masoyama died. His name is Nathan Ligo. He's, he's still got, he doesn't take uh, live-in students anymore, but he's still in, um, in North Carolina, like the Chapel Hill area. He's got several dojos there. Incredible guy. But that really, that was in my early 20s and that absolutely shaped my life. Yeah, so, no, I was yeah. I was gonna say, um, because I mean I do Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and that's gonna bring mm -hmm. me to my second question, which is is there a BJJ school in Saipan? Because if not, I'm very <laughs> tempted. <laughs> if there's not, I'm tempted give to move, so I can actually set it up. <laughs> yeah. <right>? Um, <laughs> there there is do you do you know uh Frank the Tank Camacho? He's a fighter. He's from yeah, Saipan. I know, yeah. Yeah. He's from Saipan. So okay. so he lives here and trains here. So there's there's definitely some training taking place here, and um, the Chamorro people are. I know there are some who do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu here. They are like genetically, they're they're pretty incredible. Uh, like genetically, uh, Polynesians are are generally big, but something about the the Chamorros, they're so solid. It's incredible, and they're just like. They have these little skinny kids running around, and then you see them as adults, and you're like, whoa, you're just powerful. <laughs> but I think it's from, like, if you were weak, you're not making that, that long ocean voyage, and there's typhoons here and all. So they're just like, I think nature has just selected. I, I'm making a very, like, eugenic argument here, but they're pretty incredible <laughs> people. But, I, yeah, there's, I, I'm pretty sure that there is 
I mean, because Camacho's here and he trains here. So there's at least a few people training. But if they're training, I'm sure they're training at a pretty high level because they don't really that's, they don't uh, screw around here. Yeah, that's yeah. my end game. Maybe moving to Saipan and opening up a yeah. BJJ school. But uh, yeah, oh, it'd be yeah, popular, no. bro. It'd be popular. I don't. Yeah, because I I don't want to focus too much on the Saipan uh, discussion just because I've heard you do that in a lot of the podcasts. But yeah, no a couple of questions, like just say somebody was considering this. I mean, yep. what is like job availability if someone just up and came over there? Is there a way to make a living easily? Um, I, it's, it's an interesting question, man. Like. Yes and no. So if you're a very if you're a very entrepreneurial person and you came with some savings, you could probably you could probably set up a hustle and do something. Sure. Right. Um I would advise, you know, trying to trying to have something that you could do remotely for some amount of money. But yeah, I, I it, it would it would certainly be tough. For a single guy, you could probably pull it off and be okay. Moving mm-hmm. with the family, you're gonna want to probably have something something set up. Or depending upon what you do, uh, there's always job openings with the government here. They're constantly trying to bring people in. Um, so there's stuff at the like the the college there's colleges here, so they're constantly looking for like teachers for stuff. There's all kinds of kind of technical jobs. Certainly, doctors and lawyers, nurses are in demand here. Um, all kinds of all kinds of those jobs as well, and that could be something to like touch down with, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. me and Tyler are both FAA licensed aircraft mechanics, so I'm sure. Oh, dude, <laughs> you got airplanes, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, actually, my my neighbor just below me is um, an air traffic controller. He just got here because they needed people. Wow! Really? So yeah. So there's um there's a chart there's charter airlines here. Like you could look at Star Marianas, like Star Marianas Air, um, is here, and that's the, so they've been they fly between the islands and everything. And look, I'm sure they need mechanics. <laughs> so so that's yeah, man. I mean it, that yeah, absolutely. There's yes. there's there's a lot of a lot of flying between the islands here that takes place on yeah, charter maybe. planes, private planes, the whole nine. Maybe I will fall back on that someday, like everyone told me. <laughs> but um, but I, tell you, my, my, I tell you what, the weather is a lot nicer in Saipan than it is here in the Midwest. That's for sure. Oh, it's, it's <laughs> nicer here than it's nicer here than anywhere. It's actually in the Guinness Book of World Records as like the most forget what they say, like the most stable climate or the most temperate climate. It's like wow. always between uh, Fahrenheit seventy, like seventy two and eighty five, like always. Three three sixty five three hundred sixty five days a year. That's amazing. So yeah, it's yeah. it's pretty nice. My other two yeah. quick questions was uh, I, I heard you say that you can't own property um, if you're right. like you know right. coming in there, um, but there's plenty of land available. So so what yeah. kind of setup can you get if you didn't want to be like right now? I'm out in the country. I'm on five acres. Yep. I really like being a quiet area with I've got a family of six. Yep. What's available for? I mean, oh. is that to the average person? And what's the cost of living like? So cost of living in terms of sort of your residential is going to be a lot less than in most places. Um, So what you can do in terms of if you want land, there's definitely, I mean, there's places on multi, multi acres. And if you want a lot of land, you can go to like the other islands and then you can have like 20 acres, 30 acres and whatnot. Um, But, but here you can easily, you can easily have several acres. I mean, there's, there's tons of places and especially now, um, the, so 
you're like your electric bill is going to be more expensive. It's pretty expensive here. Like your water, your utilities is more expensive. Food, depending, is a little more expensive. Like you, you figure out how to how to do it. Like I eat a lot of the local vegetables. I love the lo like they have local vegetables here, and it's cheaper than anything. Um, and it's like it's. I mean, they're not like certified organic, but they just, everything grows here. So, mm -hmm. local vegetables and and all of that is relatively inexpensive. But getting certain things, if you want specific things from the mainland, that's going to be obviously more expensive. Um, so it's in in that regard. And gas, uh, gasoline's probably about the about the same, less than in like a place like California or something like that. But probably about the same as in like what is it a gallon for you guys right now? About three for regular. Bucks. Three bucks, yeah, yeah three, three bucks. bucks. Yeah, so it's more here. It's like four here. So it's less than California, but more than you guys, right? But you drive less. Uh, you so drive. Price, you pay for paradise, right? Yeah. This is, there's, <laughs> there's there's less. Um, but you will. But you do need a car. There's very there's no public transportation. Um, but you know you could also choose where you want to live, and if you if you live in the mix of everything, then you probably don't need to use your car all that often. Um, so cost of living. Definitely less in a place like California. Uh, probably commensurate with most most cities in in the U.S. Maybe more than some rural areas. Um, but it's but it's also you know there's also a lot of things you don't have to worry about. Like you know if you got a pair of board shorts and a t-shirt and some flip flops here, you're kind of good. And that's what everybody <laughs> that's all anybody's <laughs> worried. You know like. Winter coats and oh, I need to have a snow blower for my driveway and like these types of things. Snow, yeah. I need to go get snow tires. I need to do this and I, yeah, you're not going to worry about that, you know. So those, there's some of those things you think about too. Mm -hmm. Cool. Well, cool. That's a uh, yeah. We're past hour and a half, but this has been what I'm oh, one of my favorite podcasts we've done. This has been a fun conversation. Um, yeah, anything, you. anything you want to plug or, or close on or, or you know anywhere people can find you? Go ahead and put that in now. Yeah. So. Uh, I'm doing a course for Renegade University. One of you said that you'd watch Thaddeus Russell uh, mm -hmm. interviews. So I'm doing a, a course for Renegade University called uh, From Satoshi to Financial Sovereignty, an Intro to Cryptocurrency. And I, it's going to be really interesting. I think it's, gonna, I, it's just going to be a one-off thing that I do. I think it's going to be about eight hours long across four weeks. And it's really just going to delve into sort of all of the aspects of cryptocurrency, but through history and in this very renegade sort of way. So to talk about where did things split up and how it's, I think it's going to be particularly good and I'm really excited for it. So if people want to go to renegadeuniversity.com and check that out, uh, they can. And then also, of course, I, I just released my new book, which is Render Unto Caesar, Prophecy, Profit, and Proof of Work in the Dim Age. And you can get that at theproofof.work. So those are the two things, Renegade University and then my new book. If people want to check them out, they're, uh, they're right there. Cool. Awesome. Thanks, guys. And awesome. uh, yeah, once again, for the listeners, we're going to be at Freedom Fest in Rapid City from July 21st to 24th. Uh, so check us out there. And uh, please head to iTunes and rate and review the show. So thanks again, Vin. Really appreciate your time. Right. Yeah, Thank thanks, you, guys. Vin. Thanks, Thank guys. Bye-bye.